Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Hi, and welcome to the second Effortless Swimming podcast. My name is Brenton Ford, and this is the podcast where you're going to learn about different things you can do in training, in racing, and outside the pool to improve your swimming. Last episode, we spoke with Ash Delaney, who's an Olympic backstroker. And Ash talked about how to have more energy at the end of your race by not kicking hard until the last 25-30% of your race. He also talked about losing weight by cutting out sweets from your diet. And he also mentioned some things that you can do in training to improve your underwater and to improve different things about your stroke just by working on them every single lap and focusing on them. This episode, we talk with Terry Lachlan from Total Immersion. And Terry's well known for his method of swimming instruction which teaches you to be more efficient and more natural in the water. And he's helped hundreds of thousands of people worldwide with his DVDs, his workshops and his books. And he has helped a lot of adults and triathletes in particular. And we chat with Terry about his story of how he came from being a swimmer to a coach and then to developing his own method of swimming and learning to swim and how he's used that to help so many people worldwide. And some of the things he talks about in this chat with him is he talks about moving from being a slower swimmer in your squad to becoming a faster member of your squad and some of the things that you can do to do that. He also talks about the one thing you can change in your workouts to help you push yourself harder and stay motivated during a set. And the other thing he mentions is the aspects of your stroke, of your technique, which make the biggest difference between swimming slow and swimming fast. So let's go to the interview with Terry Lachlan from Total Immersion. Uh, tried out, tried out for a swim team when I was in eighth grade and was cut. Um, and then I uh, tried out again in uh, in tenth grade, and and this time I made the team. I'd had a little summer summer swimming experience. Um, I was uh, I was basically a pretty clueless and frustrated swimmer. Um, I never got out of uh, out of the slow lane, so to speak. Uh, throughout high school, I swam swam 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. And, and then when I was in 12th grade, I was, I was swimming in, in uh, the New York City Catholic High School League, which is not a hotbed of future Olympians, <laughs> pretty undistinguished league. Um, and, and, you know, despite the fact that the league wasn't very good, uh, I, I, even as a senior, I still didn't qualify for, for the league championship. So uh, I swam in the novice championship, mostly against ninth graders uh, when I was in 12th grade. Um, and then I, I went on to, uh, swim at St. John's university and, and I worked really hard. It was really my, um, my whole purpose was, uh, to work as hard as humanly possible. And, uh, the first two years I improved a whole lot. And then the last two years I just kept getting sick and I slowed down again. So I, you know, I realized in retrospect that, uh, overwork was probably what, what caused me. Uh, to have the health problems the last two years. So, you know, so I, I when I had uh, completed my seven years of uh, high school and college swimming, I, I guess I had some, some skepticism about, about the hard work, the, the pure hard work approach. I, I've never been, never been, um, you know, had any doubts about the value of, of diligent effort, but, uh, but sheer hard work uh, certainly failed me, um, and so I was pretty skeptical about the value of that uh, when I when I finished college. 
Um, and, uh, I, you know, there was also a sense of unfairness because there were other people that I felt were lazy and, and they swam much faster than I did. And I just felt, you know, an, an inherent unfairness in that that I could never reconcile with. So um, I was uh, against all odds. I was offered a college coaching position uh, right after graduation. And uh, I mean, I was probably about as unqualified for that job as, as anybody could be. Um, I was, uh, I, in fact, I, I was only 21 the first year I was coaching. I, so I was coaching people who were older than me. I was coaching people who had beaten me soundly the year before. Um, and I had never taken, I'd never taken any sort of uh, coaching course. I was a political science major and the college I went to didn't offer anything in the physical education field. So, um, but I, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know why still, I don't understand why, but, um, really from the first day, the first week that I was on the pool deck, I just felt pretty confident that I could you know, I could observe what was going on in the pool and come to some reasonable conclusions about how to make people swim faster. And uh, it, it really proved to be the case that right from the first year uh, that I was coaching that I, I, I had a much better knack for helping other people swim fast than I ever had for swimming fast myself. And uh, the first that that first team that I coached just had a phenomenal season. We broke every school record. We broke um, all the conference records. There were probably about sixteen or twenty colleges in our local New York City Metropolitan Collegiate Conference, and um, we broke every conference record and every freestyle event, and and all of them by by really massive margins. And I was elected coach of the year by my peers. Wow. And that was the first thing I'd ever done in my life that you could say, say I, 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 I'd done with distinction. And uh, so I felt I'd really found my calling um, at the age of 21. And, you know, here I am almost 40 years later uh, and, and I'm still doing it. So obviously, I, you know, I felt like I, I found what I was meant to do in life. Oh, that's that's a great story you it's it's amazing that you went into coaching when you know you wouldn't I guess you wouldn't guess that that's where you'd be heading but I think for the tens of thousands of people that you have taught to swim I I bet they're eternally grateful for that happening um, well I I think that the fact that I was so frustrated and clueless as a swimmer uh, it, it helped give me understanding and empathy for a lot of the people I've coached since. It gave me the patience to be able to work with people who don't get it easily. And, uh, so for that, I'm grateful. <laughs> and what was it that with your coaching? Where, where do you think you went right with it to, to have such a good result with your college team? What sort of things were you doing? You know, I, yeah, I found that right from, right from the first week, of practice, I, I found that I was really interested in the aesthetics um, more than what the pace clock was saying and so on. You know, I just was really intrigued by the look of people's strokes and, and looking for patterns that I could recognize. So, you know, I kind of just um, really studied the swimmers who were fastest on the team that I was coaching. It, it wasn't 
you know, I had not made them fast at that point. I was just starting. Um, but I studied the people who were fastest and I studied the people who were slowest and I, I tried to look for common, common patterns that I could, you know, see that there were characteristics in the people who were swimming faster and, and a different set of characteristics in the people who were swimming slowest. And, um, and I did, you know, I did notice some things. I think one of the first things that I noticed was that the, the people who were swimming faster looked taller in the water. They weren't necessarily taller when they stood on deck, but when they were swimming, they just had a sort of looked taller. Um, and, um, you know, their movements were generally more smooth and, and things like that. So I, I, I went over to the slow lane. I would give the, the faster swimmers a set and then I would go over to the, the, the slowest lane and just work with them for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes on, um, just trying to tweak their strokes until they started to look a little bit more like the people in the faster lane. And I just continued with, with that, you know, working on tweaking. I, I, as I said, I hadn't studied, um, any of, any of the things related to coaching or performance or biomechanics or kinesthetics or any of that stuff. I had no knowledge of the technical side of things, but I, I got to feeling a, a pretty, you know, pretty good degree of trust in, in my eye uh, that I could recognize better swimming and I could recognize poorer swimming and and use my eye and, and be willing to, as I said, just um, tweak people uh, until they started to look more like the, uh, the blueprint I kind of had formed in my mind for a better stroke. And uh, it, it really had uh, the, the swimmers, all the swimmers on the team had, you know, really fantastic improvements that year. But uh, the people who were slowest, who I recognize as being a lot like the way I had been, uh, I, you know, it was just stunning to see how much they improved that year com in comparison to how static my own performances had been. Um, and so I was, you know, after that, I was pretty sold on on the value of working on technique as a priority. It's interesting as a coach when you when you see other swimmers and you can you can pick out the different things in their technique which they need to work on. So it's always good to have that pair of eyes watching your stroke because you know that that's where the improvements found it's in technique. You know you can train you can train your heart out but in the yeah. end if you haven't got the right technique it's you're not going right. to improve um, as much as you will if you work on your technique. So yeah, and I think actually one of the things that was really beneficial, it, it you know, it later I later recognized that uh, starting with a blank slate, so to speak, uh, allowed me to not to not be intimidated by technique because I think if I had studied in the way it's normally taught, you know, it, it can be so technical I might have been intimidated. Um, but uh, I you know I got to trust, developed a, a strong degree of trust in the value of, of, of observation and having a, a, a really basic aesthetic sense and following that. Um, and, and it gave me, I think, a lot more freedom to work on technique than I would have had if I had studied it formally and, you know, the way it's normally taught um, in, in, in academic courses. Yeah, well, there's so many different parts of swimming to, to look at. Just for freestyle, for example, you know, you can work on the catch, your rotation, your your pull, your recovery. There's a lot of things to think about. But if you can just simplify it and, you know, talk about how it should feel or, 
um, as you said, the aesthetics, then it's a lot yeah. uh, easier for people to focus on that and work on improving yeah. it rather than thinking about catching with a, you know, at 45 degrees or making it complicated. So that's yeah. a really good way to go about it. I, I can remember one, you know, one example of a real eye-opening moment I had, which was uh, after I'd been coaching six years, I got a job uh, where I was coaching at a pool that had an underwater window, and I'd never had access to that before. You know, I'd, for six years, I'd been coaching from the pool deck and was used to swimming looking a certain way. Um, and so the first the first week that I was coaching at this pool, I gave gave the, the, you know, the swimmers a set. I went down, climbed down the ladder and, and just sat there watching them do the set. And I, I, I don't think I'd been down at the window for more than a minute before I saw something that I just had never noticed from the deck before. And it was just mind blowing for me to see that. And, and that was watching people push off, um, the people who were well streamlined went very far, very fast. And the people who were, uh, only a little bit less streamlined. They didn't have to be like incredibly bad streamlined. All they had to be was a little bit less streamlined, and they slowed down so dramatically it was you know it was like they were running into a wall. Um, and then the other thing was the people who were who were moving really fast um, in their streamlines. As soon as they started pulling and kicking, I could see them measurably slow down. It was, you know, it was so obvious that they, as soon as they started pulling and kicking, they were swimming slower than when they were just streamlined and gliding underwater. And, you know, it struck me that all the time I spent planning workouts and all the time that I might, all the attention I might give to, to the propulsive parts of swimming, uh, probably wouldn't have as much impact as if I could figure out figure out some way to have people maintain streamlining characteristics after they came to the surface and started swimming. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I mean, that happened in 1978, and it wasn't until the the, the mid to late 90s that I, I really felt that I had a step-by-step -step method to teach active streamlining. Um, but, but it was something that really stuck with me. And, you know, there were a lot of moments like that where I got, I got a really powerful impression from observation and then, you know, and then brought it into my coaching. But it, you know, as, as I say, it was a lot of experimentation and trial and error and so on, because I never had formal training. And when you go about tweaking someone's stroke, it might be the streamline, like you were talking about, what sort of steps do you go through? Do you get them to focus on a few things at once or just focus on the one thing? How do you go about adjusting someone's technique? Um, well, most of the work we do in total immersion is we, we don't really do tweaking. You know, we uh, pretty much everyone who comes to us for instruction is, is we take them to, um, we start them with balance. Um, even if they look like a pretty decent swimmer, I, you know, I've certainly had um, other instances where I've worked with swimmers in a less formal uh, environment. But most of the people that come to us for instruction are coming to learn, you know, to learn our method, which which means always starting with balance uh, skills and uh, and you know certain drills and and stroke thoughts. Uh, that we teach balance, um, and so the very first thing, very very first thing we teach everyone is is to release the head's weight, um, 
just to have, you know, to have the head feel weightless, to feel like it's hanging, to become aware of whether uh, you're activating any of the usual muscle in, in the back of the neck that you, you know, that you activate to hold your head up even a little bit um, as opposed to completely release its weight. So that would be a starting point that we, we do with everybody. Um, I, I've also, you know, been in situations, I've, I've done work with some of the top college teams uh, in the U.S., uh, not very recently, but, you know, I'd say probably the most recent time was uh, two, let's see, I think 2004 or 2005 was the last time I did that. So I wasn't doing a workshop or anything like that. You know, I was looking for things that I could I could help them with uh, fairly quickly when I did that. And I would just, you know, mostly I would look at the fluency of their movements. I would look at how much they were disturbing the water. I would I would listen to how much noise they were making when they were swimming, uh, things like that, and, and look for ways to increase the grace and fluency and... Um, and any ragged, any ragged edges at all I could find. Um, so if I'm working with someone who's already a pretty good swimmer and they've not asked me to teach them the TI method, you know, the, the, the focus will mainly be on how graceful and, and fluent their movements are. Yeah. And that's, I like your approach of, you know, you always start from the same spot, which is get the balance right and then you, you work on the other things because I yeah I went through your freestyle program uh, it might have been two years ago I, I bought the DVD and I had a look at the drills and went through them and I went to the pool and went through all the lessons and yeah my stroke count dropped I think it was at the start of the session it was 31 and I got it down to it was either 26 or 27 just from going through a couple of these drills and you can really feel a difference once you, you know, once you go through the drills and you become more aware of your balance and your body position and your rotation so um yeah for anyone that's listening i highly recommend checking out the total immersion dvds and programs because i think for anyone who's um, interested in swimming and they want to improve then it's a great a great way to um go about it yeah well i, I appreciate that brent and i'm glad you had you had a good experience and, and a good outcome with it and and that you know considering how accomplished uh, you are as a swimmer that you were you were open to the idea that you could uh, <clears throat> improve improve uh, over you know whatever level of efficiency you had at that moment yeah and i th i think drills because uh, i mean most most of your program is it's all drills because that's the way to improve in swimming is to you know, use the drills to focus on the different parts of the stroke. And um, uh, you know, there's some swimmers which don't like drills at all. Maybe they had a bad experience when they were younger. Their coach might oh. have flogged them with a lot of drills or whatever it is. But, you know, if you really want to improve, you've got to be going through some of these drills. Yeah. The, the, the last couple of years, we've actually evolved a way to, uh, to, to a, a bit less reliance on drills and to using them differently. So, um, you know, if you were working with a DVD a couple of years ago, you, you probably, um, you know, were following a program where you might have been doing 25-meter drill repeats, maybe even more 50-meter drill repeats. And, and these days, we're, we're using the drills more as to tune up a particular aspect of the stroke or bring a particular aspect of the stroke to a higher level of awareness. 
Uh, but once we do that, we we try to we encourage the swimmer to try to swim whole stroke with that new uh, piece of awareness, uh, pretty you know right right at the start. So for you know for instance, the first when we're teaching freestyle, the first drill we teach is called Superman Glide, and there's three or four different focal points that we might draw the swimmer's attention to in Superman Glide. But but usually what we'll do is have them do maybe four repetitions of, of a Superman glide and each repetition is only going to be eight to ten meters and the first four repetitions will will ask them to just focus on the feeling of the head being weightless and hanging between the shoulders and then then after they've done that for you know maybe two minutes um, we'll, we'll ask them to swim to two to four twenty fives and just see how to what extent they feel the same sensation of a weightless head in whole stroke and to try to um, feel as well whether that's affecting other parts of the stroke so that would be that would be a more typical so it's a lot more integration of uh, a new position a new awareness a new sensation uh, that you heighten in the drill or highlight in the drill uh, and then to bring it into whole stroke pretty quickly and you mentioned that you prefer to start with a blank slate. And by that, do you mean working with someone who's pretty much brand new to swimming? No, well, not necessarily. I mean, we we sometimes do. We don't really have the luxury of doing that most of the time. Um, I, it's not that we prefer to start with a blank slate, but to some extent to try to create one. Uh, so everybody has some muscle memory. Everybody has some habit patterns coming in for the most part. And by one of the virtues of the drills is that they generally don't have a habit pattern uh, that resides in the drill itself. The drill is, is different enough, new enough, that they don't have any preconceptions or muscle memory about how to do the drill. So it, it allows us to, uh, to interrupt a habit um, and implant a new awareness and then let that let that new awareness imprint a little bit through some drill repetitions and then see how see whether they can bring it into the whole stroke so we we are trying to create a bit of a blank slate <laughs> um, whereas m most of the time we're really not encountering one yeah that's that's a good point it's um yeah and uh, i mean a lot of the swimmers that that I work with too they they've got at least some experience they might have swum for 20 years they might be it's been yeah. the last two years but yeah creating a, a blank slate and trying to get them to almost forget what they've learned up to that point so you can yeah. implant those new things uh, into their technique it's yeah, a good way to go about it and yeah. and, and so yeah be, besides doing that what we're what we're really trying to do with a lot of these students is simply um, Plant the idea that they should be thinking in very specific and targeted ways, that when they leave the wall, they should be thinking about one thing they want to try to do well uh, on the way to the next on the way to the next wall. So just to start getting them in the habit of having a specific, clear, targeted thought um, uh, on every lap, every stroke, and so on. So that's one of the things we're trying to accomplish in, in the way, you know, the step-by-step -step drill progressions. And that works all the way up to the top swimmers too. I was talking to Ash Delaney, who's an Australian 
Olympic backstroker and he he was talking about every lap or every set he knows what he's going to work on whether it's he wants to go 12 kicks underwater or he wants to yeah. swim on his arms for for that lap and not work his kick too much but yeah it's, if you focus on, on more than one thing it's it's very hard to um i guess to get improvement and to be clear on what you're, you're trying to do with with that lap or that set right and, and, and i think it's not it, I, I don't think that inclination that he has, I, I don't think it's very common. And, and I think because the way a lot of swim training is designed, at, at least here in the U.S., there's a lot of just generic repetition where the coach just gives a number. You know, uh, we're going to do 2100s on this interval, and then they say, ready, go. And there's not often a lot more information. So, so the swimmers don't really know where to put their focus. And sometimes the set itself is so tedious that they almost have to distract themselves and turn off mentally to to bear the tedium so there's a lot of things that happen in swim training that that to some extent uh, are encouraging people to uh, to disassociate to, to to go on sort of a mental walkabout and and so anything that will encourage a swimmer to be mindful in some way while they're training is is good yeah i totally agree you know there's a lot of sets which I know I've done in the past that there hasn't really been a goal for and yeah. they're just there to fill time or clock up the Ks. But yeah, every, I think right. every set or everything you're doing in a session, it should have some kind of goal, whether it's uh, you're working on your stroke count, you're working on your aerobic fitness or your speed, but you need to link it into what your overall goal is and and know what you need to do in order to achieve that goal and, and have the right things in your program to do it. So, yeah. The, yeah, the human brain itself really wants uh, to have clear tasks. I mean, the brain evolved as you know, as uh, having to having to solve um, really critical and basic problems of, of survival. You know, uh, is is that thing, uh, is, is that item something that's safe to eat? Will it sustain me or will it poison me? Things, things like that, and so you know, a, a million years of that sort of evolution, where the brain is likes to tackle pretty, pretty basic and concrete problems, and and so it it responds really positively when it's given you know concrete problems and not you know a lot of sets. There's just it's kind of an abstraction. Twenty one hundreds, ready go. Um, that's that's just too you know just what do I do besides count hundreds? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So you need you need to know what you why are you doing it, and then you can you've got a lot more reason to do it too. You know you put in more effort, yeah. and you can um, yeah you feel like you're actually getting some benefit from it. So yeah. all, all the coaches out there, if you're if you're listening, give you some as the reason why they're doing that that particular set. Yeah. And how about yourself, Terry? Do you still swim every day? Not every day. Um, you know, there are times. There are times in the year when I'm, I'm more focused and more intense. So I, I do compete. Uh, I do a lot of open water racing uh, and a little bit of pool racing. Um, and uh, and then there are times of year when uh, I'm I take a little bit of break. So I might swim two to three times a week, which is I'm in that I'm in that phase right now where I'm I'm do, doing yoga and doing um, strength training and stuff like that a little bit more than I'm doing swimming right now. And probably after the holidays, I'll, I'll start to ramp up. I plan to go to the Masters World Championships in, in June in Italy. So, you know, I'll have six months and, and I'll start preparing in a more intensive way for that. 
But, you know, the main thing is whenever I swim, I just really want to feel like what I'm doing is so enjoyable that when I leave the pool, I can't wait to come back again. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to be leaving a session and thinking that was no fun. I don't want to go back next time. So, Yeah, no, I, I never never look at my watch. I, I, I did 3,000 yards at, at lunchtime today, and it just was the whole thing was absolutely thoroughly enjoyable. Oh, that's, that's good. I had, I, had clear, I had clear tasks on every set. I had a clear task. I was trying to execute well on every lap and so on. And that's, that's the thing that puts me, you know, puts me into a, into a flow state, make, makes it sort of timeless and egoless and just really enjoy it. Yeah, I, li- I like that a lot. And I think it's good for swimmers who swim in the squad for sometimes to go out on their own and just do their own session and, and take it in yeah. and just enjoy the feeling of swimming. Because that can be lost when you're doing squad sessions because you're, you're yeah. working hard a lot of the time and you, you forget what it feels like, you know, how enjoyable it is to be able to glide through the water and, um, and just the, the feeling of it. It's, it's quite um, euphoric, I guess you'd call it. Once yeah. You, once you get yeah. it right. I, I swam I with master's groups until uh, 2007. The last four years I've swum, I've swum like almost exclusively uh, on my own. Just because I, I tend to practice very differently than what they do in the master's workout. And so it was, it was getting harder and harder to, you know, to fit in what I wanted to do and not feel like I was in, in, some, in conflict with what the, the coaches were, were giving at master's. So I still, I still race in master's meets, but I, I train solo now. Mm. We've got some swimmers going to the world champs next year as well. So look out for the, the PowerPoints guys there and I'll... Um, uh- I'll, yeah, I'll tell them to look out for you because um, I know we've got quite a few swimmers training for it, so it sh- should be a pretty popular competition there. Yeah, gonna. Yeah. Will you have any uh, sixty to sixty-four men? Uh I think we might. I'll have to. Um, yeah. I'll have to uh, see who's who's going. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my age group, and uh, my my main event there will be the three k open water. Oh, awesome! No. Well, uh, I'll do some. I'll certainly do pool racing, but uh, the 3K open water is the thing I'm looking forward to the most. Oh, great. And where's, where's that bean swim? Is that in the lake or out in the ocean? Ah, that's a good question. I, have, I don't know yet. Not sure. But I'm, I'm game for either. Yeah, <laughs> ready for whatever's coming. <laughs> yeah. Good to hear. And what's, uh, with total immersion, what, what sort of stuff do you have available for if swimmers want to learn the total immersion method you know you've got the dvds you also do workshops yeah um well we you know we're kind of uh re- renewing our our uh, presence in australia we uh, uh we have um new leadership there and the coaches that uh, we we formerly had um we formerly had one person leading the whole operation and planning all the workshops and so on and we decided that we were going to make give all the coaches autonomy to you know whether they were in uh, in Sydney or Melbourne or Perth or wherever that they could uh, they could plan their own workshops and their lessons and so on so we we set them free to operate how they how they feel it's best in their area um and uh, and I I seeing a lot of new energy from the coaches having gained that freedom and opportunity to do that um, in, in Melbourne, we have Peter Hendrick and, and Pat Baker and, uh, I, I will be there next November. I'm coming, coming to Melbourne, um, 
next November and uh, looking forward to swimming hopefully in uh, in a in a in a sea swim maybe a race in in the sea and uh, and and maybe uh, uh, a pool pool event too if I if I can I'm I'm looking forward to that I haven't been to Australia in about probably five years. Oh, that'd be good. We look forward to having you. And there's a lot of open water races in Melbourne. There's usually one yeah. every weekend. So no doubt you'll be able to swim one. And um, yeah. yeah, and in a, a year's time, once you're here, we'll hopefully catch up and um, yeah. and meet face-to-face. Yeah, look forward to it. So, um, yeah, that's, well, thank you very much for being on the call. And I've certainly got a lot out of it, and I've got no doubt that the people listening will uh, at least learn something new that they can take back and, and implement into their own programs. So thank you, Terry. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and we'll hopefully catch well, up soon. Thank you for inviting me, Brenton, and uh, congratulations on launching the podcast. Good luck with it. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. If you'd like to find out more about Terry or his DVDs, books, or workshops, you can go to totalimmersion.net. To get bonus videos, updates and transcriptions from the podcast, simply go to swimmingpodcast.com. You can also find out more about Effortless Swimming and get free videos, audios and articles at effortlessswimming.com. Don't forget to rate us in the iTunes store. I'm Brenton Ford. I'll be back next week with an interview with the world record holder for the Manhattan Island Swim. So we'll be talking to one of the top marathon swimmers in the world where he reveals some of his top tips for swimming long distances and swimming open water races. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining me. Catch you later. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.